And that coming day of the Lord in that picture of that day to him encompasses at least what I believe 1,007 years, if not more. But it includes the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the millennial reign of the Lord upon this earth, the final judgment of all people, the believers at the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, those who are unbelievers, they're at the great white throne judgment of God and a new heaven and a new earth. All things that have been prophesied that are coming and they're all triggered by the Lord's coming day, that coming day. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Turn to your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be looking over the first five verses there today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We'll be looking at what Paul has deemed the man of sin. To get the context, we read from verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Father, we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. At this time, we pray, Lord, let it become alive in our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord, those things which we don't understand. Lord, may it grow us in our faith today. May you encourage us in the stand that we have in our faith in Jesus Christ. And if there are those who don't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that this day would be the day of their salvation. We ask, Lord, that you would work in all these many different ways for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the coming of the lawless one, the coming of the man of sin. Paul begins by saying here in verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you. And so concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, back in chapter 1, Paul referred to that coming day. 
meaning the day of the Lord or the millennial reign of Christ, what we have deemed to call the second coming of Christ. Even in our, our written media today and in magazines and in newspapers, the big bold type that they have maybe on the front, like tomorrow, hopefully they'll say bears win. <laughs> that would be called second coming print. And it's deemed that it's so big, the Lord is coming. They just call that second coming print when it's just the big headlines that take over the whole newspaper. But the day of the Lord or the second coming of Jesus Christ encompasses many days or many years as far as Scripture is concerned. According to the Word of God, a thousand years is as one day with the Lord. One day is as a thousand years. So to the Lord, a vast amount of time really means nothing. God is outside of the time continuum. And so uh, we measure our days and hours and minutes and seconds and, and weeks and months and years. God just sees the whole picture. And that coming day of the Lord in that picture of that day to him encompasses at least what I believe 1,007 years, if not more. But it includes the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the millennial reign of the Lord upon this earth, the final judgment of all people, the believers at the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, those who are unbelievers, they're at the great white throne judgment of God and a new heaven and a new earth. All things that have been prophesied that are coming, and they're all triggered by the Lord's coming day, that coming day. And Paul said concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him. There's going to be a gathering of people during the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, during the second coming of Christ. There will be a gathering of all nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation will come before him. Matthew 25, 32 tells us all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. And we know that portion of scripture as the teaching on the sheep and the goats and that the sheep on the right hand are those who believe, the goats on the left, those who do not believe. But there'll be a gathering of the nations before the Lord. But Notice that Paul didn't say a gathering of the nations. He said our gathering together to him. I believe that Paul is making reference to the believers gathering to our Lord, which speaks about, once again, the rapture of the church. The day in which Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, saying, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we shall always be with the Lord. We, speaking of our gathering together, all encompasses this day of the Lord, that coming day. And in that coming day also is the revelation of the man of sin, the Antichrist as we know him. He says to us in verse 2 that we should not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, by these words, it appears to us that there were those in the church of Thessalonica who believed that the day of the Lord had already come upon them and that they were living perhaps during the time of great tribulation. They thought the Lord's day had come and they had missed it. Paul had wrote about that with the rapture of the church because they were concerned about those who had died preceding the day of the Lord. And the church was asking, well, what happens with them? 
And Paul went on to explain that those who are alive will be caught up into the air and those who are dead will be raised up and will meet together in the air to always be with the Lord. And so there was this concern about the day of the Lord. And there appears to be that there were those who came teaching that the Lord's day had already come. Because we know when the Lord's day comes, it also comes with wrath and judgment against this world that does not believe in him. In the chapter last week, in chapter 1, we learned that the church in Thessalonica was under many persecutions and tribulations. And so as a result of their many persecutions and tribulations, there were those who were teaching the Lord's day had already come. The reason you're going through these things is because the Lord has already come and you've missed it, perhaps is what they were saying. Paul said of these sufferings that they were manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. You haven't missed anything, but these sufferings identify you with Christ and it'll be God who will repay with tribulation those who trouble you, as Paul told us. But it's not relating their suffering, their persecution was not related to the day of the Lord but in their relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, don't be shaken in mind or not to be soon troubled as if they had missed it. Back in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, the word tells us that of this day, Paul said, we are to wait for Jesus who delivers us from wrath to come. So those of us who are believers, we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through persecutions or sufferings. Over the last decade, we think of church history, and we know that there's been some horrendous acts against the church throughout history. But over the last decade, there have been so many more martyrs of Christ in the day and age that we live in. We don't see it here in the United States, perhaps We've seen some of it with some of the uh, Columbine school that was directly identified as those boys went in that school with those guns. They were looking for believers. And so it was a direct result of persecution against the church. And they were asking those who were killed to denounce Christ. If they wouldn't denounce Jesus, they would shoot them, and they did. And so we've seen it here in the United States, but not on the larger scale that is being seen throughout the world. The church is growing and thriving in China today, and the government is trying to stop it. And they persecute. There's tribulations. There's persecutions against them. The church that is growing, they're in India. It's trying to be squelched. Many of the Arab nations that they're afraid of Christianity and what it could bring and the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. So we have persecutions even this day. We have tribulations even this day. But it's not referring to that coming day. Of that day, Paul said, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We're going to be delivered from the coming tribulation, I believe. I believe the rapture of the church is part of that process. But I also believe one of the clearest examples of Scripture, a story in Scripture that helps us understand this, is the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that God judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities that surrounded them. And the story for us is found in Genesis 18 and 19, and I'm just going to give you a compilation of it today. The story actually began by the Lord coming to Abraham with two of his angels. They came for a visit. 
Abraham was there and the Lord came to visit him and and Abraham had Sarah fix a meal for them. They had communion with one another. At the end of that meal, at some point, the Lord announced to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah was going to have a baby, going to have a son. Sarah was listening in and cracked up laughing. And the Lord questioned Abraham as to why Sarah was laughing. And Sarah was laughing because she was 89 years old. Even in our day and age, 59 and 60 is making Guinness Book of World Record as far as a, a woman having a baby. It's news when a woman is 59 and has a baby. It's news when a woman is 60 years old and has a baby. How about 89? How about 90? Because that's when she gave birth or would be giving birth. And so she cracked up laughing, thinking impossible. And we have that statement, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, no. God can do anything he pleases. And at the appropriate time, they would have that baby and, and Isaac would be named, his name meaning laughter. So the laughter turned to joy. But before the Lord left Abraham that day, he announced to Abraham, saying to his two angels, should we conceal from Abraham what we are about to do? And so the Lord shared with Abraham the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham heard this news and he was greatly concerned because his nephew Lot lived in Sodom. And as we get the whole story of Abraham, we learn that Abraham's brother had died and Abraham actually took Lot in and raised him as his own son. Now, remember, Abraham is 99 years old. And so Lot was not only raised as his own son, I believe was viewed by Abraham as a son to him. And so he had great concern and began to intercede for Lot and for the city of Sodom, asking the Lord, saying, would you slay the righteous with the wicked? And then he began to ask the Lord, say, if there was 50 righteous in the city, would you spare the city for the 50? And the Lord said, I'll spare the city for the 50. And so Abraham would go on and say, well, let me just take this chance and be bold once again. How about 45? And the Lord said, I'll spare it for 45. How about 40? I'll spare it for 40. How about 30? Yep, 30, I'll do it for 30. How about 20? I'll spare it for 20. How about 10? Now here at 10, I think Abraham thought he had a sure bet. There had to be at least 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom. And the Lord said to Abraham, I will not forsake them for the sake of 10. The only problem, there wasn't 10. The only ones who were spared out of that city that day was Lot and his two virgin daughters. But on the day of Sodom's destruction, the two angels now that was with the Lord are in Sodom and they're trying to get Lot out of the city. And Lot is procrastinating. He doesn't want to leave. I don't think he, he's staying because he loves the city so much. Scripture tells us in the process of that night, he went to his son-in-laws and said, God's going to destroy the city, get out. And they didn't believe him. They laughed at him. But if he had son-in-laws, it meant he had married daughters. He had family there in the city. And he didn't want to see their destruction either. And finally, the angels took Lot and his family, his wife at the time and his two daughters, and set them outside the city walls and said to them, Escape for your life, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot begged the angels to be allowed to go to a smaller city that was nearby called Zorah. And the angel said that they could go. But the angel also said something there that I believe is applicable for us today. He said to them, hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. 
Now, Peter making reference to this and also to Noah's deliverances, so the deliverance of Noah and Lot, he said in 2 Peter 2.9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So God knows how to distinguish the division between the sheep and the goats, those who believe and those who do not believe. God knows how to deliver the godly out of judgment or out of tribulation and temptations. But the unjust will be reserved for that punishment, just as Noah was delivered with his family during the flood that destroyed this earth, just as Lot was delivered with his family when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It's interesting over in Israel now, the need for water is so great. There are so many people that live in that land. The need for water is so great. Their greatest source of water is the Sea of Galilee. Now, the natural process had been as the mountains, there's three tributaries that, that drain into the Sea of Galilee and make the sea, and then it goes out on the southern end into the, what we know the Jordan River that eventually dumps out into the Dead Sea. Now, many believe that the Dead Sea, which is something like 33% salt content, and that's why you can float. It's full of minerals and stuff. But it's also because of the water source in Israel, and Jordan actually has rights to tap into the Sea of Galilee a treaty that they had made with Israel, and they haven't built that uh, channel yet to tap into that source. But the Sea of Galilee is their main water source, and so they keep the water there in the sea, and they're allowing the uh, Dead Sea to somewhat dry up pretty much. And discoveries are being made as that takes place. We were there in 2004, and on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, there was a resort built right on the shoreline. But the problem was, now the sea was a half a mile away, and so they had a road built down to the water to the Dead Sea because the shoreline had moved that much. It drained and dried up that much. And I believe we'll see more discoveries come, perhaps even more information as to this is the traditional location of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the story there, God knows how to deliver the just and to reserve the unjust for judgment. So Paul says, don't be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us. By spirit, not talking about the Holy Spirit of God here, but talking about the spirit of man. It would appear that men came teaching and perhaps saying, thus says the spirit of the Lord. The day of the Lord has arrived or has come. And there to this date are many men and women who will say, thus says the Spirit of the Lord. But it doesn't mean that they're speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be cautious with that. They were speaking by the inspiration of their own flesh, but not of the Spirit of God. He said, don't be shaken in mind or troubled either by word. Now, it's reference to the spoken word here, meaning that teachers also came in and taught that the day of the Lord had already come. Perhaps they had taken some scriptures out of context to prove their point. And we need to be so careful. It's so important for us today to be a people of the word of God, that we could be like the Bereans in scripture, as we learn in Acts 17, 11, who when Paul came speaking forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
Scripture tells us that they received the word with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And so the Bereans heard Paul's message about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ himself, but they searched the scripture to see if it lined up with the word of God. And we need to be people of the word of God who will search the scripture. On Friday, I had a conversation. Someone had called me and had a couple of questions for me. And then he said, I had another one, but I can't think of it right now. And so, okay. And so we ended our conversation. Then he called back and he goes, oh, I know what it was. I was on this website. Now, websites can be great, but they can be very dangerous too. But he said, I was on this website. He goes, what I want to know is, and this guy's not a part of our fellowship, so he doesn't know that I use the New King James and teach from the New King James. But he said, what I wanted to know is, is the New King James any good or should I trash it? And I said, well, I've been teaching from it since 1993. So in that sense, in that regard, you're talking to the wrong person. But he said, I was on this website, and I said, oh, yeah, what website was it? I was trying to get him to tell me the name of the person, the individual. I can assume who it was, but he never remembered or recalled the name. But he, he gave me one example from Acts chapter 3, verses 26, where in the King James, and it said that it called Jesus the Son. In the New King James, it calls him a servant. And I said, well, we need to go back to the Greek and see what the word was that was translated as son or servant there, who was correct as far as the translation is concerned. And so I went to the Greek. I was on the phone with him, got the computer right there and, and looked up the Greek word for uh, son. And it was a little boy, literally is what it meant. It meant little boy, but it also can mean servant. And so I just uh, typed in a word search for servant with the capital letters in the New King James. And so in the whole Bible, it would give me every time the New King James used the word servant in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was five. Three were found in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. And so I went back to look in the Old Testament to see where they came from. And there were actually prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in Isaiah that calls Jesus God's servant. Twice in the New Testament, once the King James translated it servant, once they translated the same word son. And so they chose. And what I told them, I said, they're, they're making a choice. The translators now are making a choice of whether this word should be son or servant. And they've made that choice and put it down as son or servant. But both are correct. Now, the reason they had to translate it in Matthew as servant, because the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus called him a servant. And so they would be incorrect if they would have inserted the word son there because the reference was a direct prophecy from the Old Testament that called Jesus a servant. And so this is really digging into it, you know, trying to find out is this word correct or not. But I believe it's so important. And what he was saying, which I just began to prepare some notes that I was going to email this fellow and, and just basically said my suggestion to you would be don't read this guy's website. It's not that I'm promoting the King James over the New King James, except for what he kept saying to me. Some of the stuff on there is really bizarre, but some of it seems to make sense. And so you have to weigh out the good over the bad. Personally, if I have people who are in question, they might be right on some and they're way off on other things. I don't want to read them because how do I know 
what's truth and what's not. How do I discern that? Well, you discern it through the Word of God. You discern it by being a Berean. And I can tell you I can do that now because years of studying the Word of God and being a pastor and teaching the Word of God has given me those abilities, those gifts, but it's a learned skill also. And so don't be troubled by spirit or by word. Just because someone says something, it doesn't mean it's truth. And so we need to check into the Word of God. And again, I, I knew the website, not the site itself, but the source. And I said, what they're promoting is the 1611 King James, right? He goes, yeah, that's what they're saying. And I said, when you take that all the way, they can be so strict is that they'll tell you that everything before 1611 wasn't the Word of God either. It's just how people can trouble people by word. They can trouble people by spirit or either by letter, as if from us, Paul says here. Now, there appears to have been erroneous and fraudulent letters that have been circulated during that day with Paul's name on it. So don't be troubled by these things, by these erroneous or fraudulent letters. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work now so we stand together to close out and worship you. This day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847 265 0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.